The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Well, it is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7 o'clock on this Monday night. This is Tomahawk Talk live from the WVFS studio in Tallahassee, Florida on 89.7 FM, the voice of Florida State. A quick reminder that every show is uploaded to our podcast feed so you never miss an episode. And follow our socials at V89Sports on Twitter and Instagram. We've got some updates from fall camp and even... Some articles coming out very soon, so be sure to stay tuned for that. With all that out of the way, you know me as William Haynes, and you'll know the voice you're about to hear as the co-host of the show, Jackson Bakich. Hi, guys. It's Jackson again. Uh, it's good to see you all. Um, well, not I can't see you, but uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, hope you all are having a wonderful summer. I'm having a wonderful summer. And I will say, uh, William, are you having a wonderful summer? I am having a pretty decent summer. I, I just about every time I'm on here, I talk about going to raise games and everything. And, and that's a great fun, but I, as you'll, as everyone will kind of see with today's show, I'm getting antsy for football season. Um, you know, baseball every day, I'm ready for something else. I just uh, left my summer job. So I'm ready to get back up to school uh, and everything. And since the last time I was on the show, which was only a couple of weeks ago, I watched basically the entirety of Breaking Bad. I just got sucked into it and I couldn't stop. Have you seen Breaking Bad? You know, I was about two, two or three episodes into season two. I got really busy over the summer. Um, so I haven't been able to watch. I've been really wanting to finish it because I think it's one of the greatest shows of all time, even just from the first, what, 15 episodes that I've watched. So absolutely wonderful show. And that's, that's really what I've heard is, that, you know, and it really is, it's this crime drama that, that gets you into it and it just starts spinning out of control and you can't, it's one of those, you can't help but stand and watch the train wreck. And it, it really was kind of that to give without giving anything away. It was a strange time to watch the show because it wrapped, you know, almost 10 years ago, the spinoff show is all the rage. A couple of days ago, I saw Albuquerque, the city in New Mexico, they put up statues of Walt and Jesse, which I thought is strange, you know, two drug dealers that ruin people's lives and you build statues to honor them. But, you know, I don't know if people would know what, where Albuquerque was, if not for that show. But anyway, uh, Jackson in Tallahassee, we know you, of course, as the savant of the written media with the Floridian and your exemplary work here with the radio. But the buzz out of Lake County these days is you've sold not one, but now two cars this summer. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I was able to sell a, a nice little Jeep Compass and uh, was, was really excited about it. Once again, you know, if you're in the Lake County area, shameless plug, you got to visit St. Boswell Buick GMC in Mount Dora, right on 441. And uh, we'll get you right. We'll get you in and out as fast as we can with a great deal and a smile on your face. Oh my gosh, he's even got the the catchphrase, the shameless plug. <laughs> I think we've talked about it a couple of times. Uh, Gene Deckerhoff did a, a couple of commercials for that dealership. We need to get that on, as a sound drop or something on the show. It was, <laughs> that is so great. 
but but enough of that. As as the calendar turns to August, our minds turn to pigskin in the world of the sports. As we're now officially less than a month away from opening day, August twenty seventh against Duquesne. And as I said, the show is is going to kind of uh, be with a lot of football talk, lots of FSU stories to hit first, and then some NFL for the last hour. As we haven't really talked to any NFL since free agency in March. So we have a kind of a lot to get everyone updated on. Uh, Jackson, you hosted last week's show in studio with some great conversation for anyone that might've missed that show. Could you give us some of the highlights from that one? Yeah. So uh, I did a little monologue, you know, we don't really do monologues, but I was like, you know, it's the summer. Um, try something a little different. I, I went into detail about how uh, I have a proposal to fix college football's problems right now. And uh, basically, I, I was talking about um, you know, how we can use NIL and the transfer portal together to help each other. Uh, and I, I had laid some solutions out, basically, uh, saying, you know, if you transfer X amount of times within a certain amount of time that you could possibly lose your NIL. Um, but it's a, it's a complicated, and Scott and I, that's what we had great conversations about. Um, the NCAA most likely wouldn't be able to enforce it due to antitrust laws and not being able to, to or not and not wanting to pay players because the NCAA is allowing players to be paid, but they're not paying them. So, um, you know, to, you know, what, well, could conferences enforce, enforce it? That was uh, the first half of the show. And the second half of the show basically was uh, going through game by game of the Florida State Seminoles football schedule and uh, giving our predictions. So, Well, that was a great one. Yeah, I saw, I saw the monologue that you did. It, it, it's a really interesting situation. I know we've, we've hit it plenty, but, but for good reason. I know the last couple of years there's been talk of at least just the football side of college athletics stepping away from the NCAA so they can have their own governing body. Of course, if you want to expand the playoff, add more games, you know, certain things to the money side that might not be as, as uh, favorable to the student athlete and, and seems like with, you know, with NIL nowadays, trying to get the NCAA uh, out of there as well. Another kind of, uh, maybe you just, you, you hinted at it or, or you, you were talking about it, but I thought was interesting. And, and right now with NIL, not only when you get a commitment from a high school player, you're nowhere close to being done because another school can swoop in with more money and, and steal your player away. But even, even when you get them, yeah, even a signed commitment doesn't mean anything. Yeah, even when you get them to sign on the dotted line, and even when they're on campus, they're in pads and helmet, they're practicing, you are still having to recruit your player, even with money, because even at that point with the transfer portal now, unlimited, you can transfer whenever you want. Another school can still swoop in and steal your player. So it's this insane kind of thing where you never know who's going to stay and who's going to go. Yeah, absolutely. And if we're going to start treating this like a business where uh, players are getting paid as an employee of somebody. Um, that is a voluntary interaction, but there's no way to, uh, to codify or to codify. I, I'm an English major. I should know the difference <laughs> two words, but uh, we have no way of, of guaranteeing some sort of commitment by any player ever. <laughs> And uh, with the new transfer rules. So it, it, like I said last week, 
the the pendulum and I'm all for I I don't want this to be misconstrued. I'm all for players getting paid what they're due. Uh, but the pendulum has swung too far the other way. And now um, college football is just from a fan experience. It's, it's complete chaos. And yeah, it's, for the NCAA, it's probably, uh, it's probably better for them because you and I are talking about it right now, but I will say from a fan experience, it is not enjoyable to see players like Tate Martell and no offense to the guy uh, he, he's doing what he can, um, but no offense to the guy, but no one wants to see him. No one wants to see a player go to three schools in four years. That's just the matter of the fact. And that's a great point. You're you, motivated by money. Right. You talk about fan experience. I think particularly about the casual fan experience that already was one of the drawbacks to college football, college sports in general is your guys are there for maybe three or four years. And then you've got to learn your new guys. Well, now it's even more drastic than that. People are coming and going every year. It's really hard to keep track of with, you know, an 85 man roster or however many. And uh, as you mentioned, Tate Martell, he's, he's done his rounds across the the continental United States and the world of college football. But I'm hoping now that we're getting close to the season. I think so. Yeah. Out West. And, and I'm hoping that as at least we get a reprieve for the next few months now that actual games are going to be played. Hopefully the ACC situation can stay, um, can keep itself from going nuclear until at least next offseason. And, you know, we can take a break from the NIL stuff for a little while. Uh, speaking of that, uh, after you did the, the show last week uh, in studio, you also covered the annual football luncheon. And then the day after that, the first day of fall practice. So tell us some about that. Well, uh, so it was kind of funny. I misread the email accidentally. Uh, went to the champion. Thankfully, I got there a little early. I accidentally went to the Champions Club, but I should have been in the Varsity Club, which is on the complete other side of the uh, of the stadium. But that's okay. Uh, I was there with plenty of time, so I was able to get into the Moore Center. Um, and uh, I ended up getting to the varsity club probably with about seven minutes before the press conference starts. And I'll tell you what, my uh, palms were sweaty, my knees, they were weak, arms were heavy. Um, you know, there's Pop-Tarts on my sweater. Uh, Mom, she didn't make any spaghetti. So um, it was a, it was a unique experience being in the room with all those uh media Tallahassee media staples um they were they were very nice to like a newcomer like me um and I was just really grateful that uh we were given that opportunity from the from the station and from Florida State I have not been to the annual luncheon yet I know it's it's kind of the the Tallahassee glitterati of course the media there to speak to everyone but also some of the big boosters and things were were there any big names you got to meet or kind of uh you know sit sit with or anything yeah so uh had a lot of conversations with Irish Chaffel uh great guy down there at War Chant uh a couple conversations here and there with with Kurt Wheeler um and I'll tell you what just just nice humble guys uh Love telling they love telling old stories about you know past coaches and you know even even back to the Bobby Bowden days, uh, but the vibe in there wasn't wasn't you know uh, extremely business like it was casual it was fun Coach Norvell honestly makes it 
uh, well, as intense as he is, I'm sure everybody has seen um, how how fired up he gets. It was also very, very uh, – there was a – I'm going to put it this way. There was a contagion of happiness, put it that way. And I think that's that's really what or what he's best at. One of the things he is best at is he inspires people with his words, He and that's not just the players but also the media and the fan base. He's very well-spoken. He knows what to say and when. And uh, I, I think that luncheon and some of the quotes out of that was a perfect example. You asked him a couple of questions. The one I want to hit first, um, you actually got a, a compliment out of him, and I'll, I'll go ahead and play it. It's about a 60-second clip. Uh, here it is. If you could have one word to describe this 2022 team, what would it be and why? Good question. I think family. You know, I, I'll never forget when I, when I first – when I first became a head coach, I was asked a question, what do you want the program to look like? And I remember answering, I want it to be what football has always been to me. And that's the word. And when you look at this team, you, it comes down to work and it comes down to relationship. And you see a team that is embracing each other. Wit is not, trust me, like they, anybody that's been a part of a family, there's going to be times that we're going to, we're going to quarrel. We're going to have our moments. You know, there's going to be the back and forth. But when you have people that truly care about each other, they care about the name, they care about what it represents, they care about what it looks like. Right? That's you know, we've seen some great strides when it comes to that. First of all, Jackson, congratulations on getting a good question right off the bat from the head football coach, Mike Norvell. How about that? Uh, you know, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I was appreciative of him. Um, <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, during the, the luncheon, he actually came up to me after and he said, man, that was a good question. And I started kind of like freaking out. I was like, uh, uh, thanks coach. Yeah. I, it just popped in my head. He just kind of started walking away, but I was like, you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. But it, but it uh, was a good answer on his part too. Yes, it was. And it, and it brought up something for me that I never looked at it that way because you see, you know, the word family thrown a lot by football coaches. But he went out of his way to say, you know, we're a family. We're really close. And as any family does, we're going to quarrel. We're going to be kind of butting heads a little bit. And I think sometimes when we see that, we kind of freak out and think something's wrong in the locker room or whatever. But I think he does make a, a good point to say even even the best, strongest families are going to struggle sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the most important part, his answer was um, at the very end, he said, anybody can give you a word, but we're going to prove it. Our team identity out in the field on August 27th against Duquesne. So uh, I think kind of a acknowledgement that, you know, people will sometimes see him as just a motivational speaker. And he's like, well, no, we're, we're going to prove it this year. Um, so, uh, you know, really good luck to them. Um, I think they're going to have a really good season. Um, I predicted on the show. Now we were going game by game. Obviously, we have no idea what this team is going to look like. <laughs> I think I predicted ten wins. <laughs> oh man, uh, it was it was just going game by game, and I was like, yeah, I like them because I, I don't think looking back on, it, I don't think they're going to win ten games. Um, I, I think they are in the ceiling nine, floor seven. Um. I don't see them winning six. I, I see them winning more than six games this year because I look at so many games from last year where they were so close 
And now they are a team uh, that has a lot more experience. They're starting to learn how to win. Um, I see a team uh, that is ready. I really, I really, really do get the, the sense of optimism because my biggest thing watching Florida State the last couple of years is Mike Norvell kind of building this offense, like building a plane as it's flying. I mean, it, it's really on the run. Uh, they've had to do some really creative things to scheme guys open because they didn't necessarily have the receivers that could get separation. They didn't have the line that could protect for the quarterback. So they've had to do a lot of crazy stuff, but now we're getting to the point we'll, we'll talk about in a few minutes as now the offensive line is getting some great depth as now they're, they're challenging the defense more in practice. Um, You've got some big time receivers, some really tall receivers. So all these things slowly starting to come together. Jordan Travis uh, now is an upperclassman. So and speaking of that, uh, you asked the question at the luncheon as well. Florida State has a new offensive coordinator. Kenny Dillingham previously held the spot, uh, went off to Oregon and, and what they're trying to build over there. And so uh, Norvell promoted from within offensive line coach Alex Atkins got the offensive coordinator job. And um, that was a move that a lot of people were thinking about. And you asked them the question and we'll play a clip from this one as well. Jackson Bakich, WVFS Tallahassee. Um, you have a new offensive coordinator going into fall camp. Does that new dynamic change your offensive philosophy at all going into this fall camp? It, it, it really doesn't. I'll say Alex Atkins has done a remarkable job, you know, since since January and the things that he's done helping implement and kind of put his stamp on with uh, you know his great leadership uh, you know, style and, and quality with our players. Um, you know, they believe in the man. So what did you, what did you make of that answer? Honestly, I wasn't surprised by the answer. Obviously, they're promoting with within, and we know Norvell as somebody that uh, has been really in control of this offense. Um, so it, it didn't surprise me that he said their philosophy wasn't changing um, really at all. But I, I wanted to ask that question just in case in the slightest there was any possibility that anything was changing. Um, because, I mean, if you look down the road, if, if, if you know, LSU or Duquesne's watching that press conference, um, if he says, yes, our philosophy is changing, then they're probably going, oh, my gosh, you know, what's going on here? Uh, but I will say you, you talked about the plane being built while it's flying. Um, I, I think that process of the plane being built is accelerated, um, by keeping that, by keeping coach Atkins in house or, you know, retaining him and promoting him as the offensive coordinator. Uh, so his answer didn't really surprise me, but it was a little more insight onto how that dynamic is going to work. I think it was definitely a fair question to ask. It's it's somewhat of a football cliche. Anytime the the offensive line coach gets a hold of the play sheet, all he wants to do typically is run the ball because he's confident <laughs> in his guys up front and, and they want to test the defense with the run. But I, I think you're right that they're going to kind of stick to, you know, Norvell has the master plan and then he's got his assistants under him that help him um, execute that. Uh, as you, you mentioned, you know, maybe Duquesne or LSU listening in and trying to, to gather things. I really think it's at the point, of course, you watch 2021 film. You want to see what they're doing with Travis. But I think any any smart defensive coordinator, any smart coach, I think, would start looking at that Memphis tape, because I think that's the kind of stuff that Norvell is going to start breaking out as we get into 2022. More that high flying style attacking the seams with the tight ends and the slot and all that, because I think now more so than ever, they've got 
the personnel to do that. Mm-hmm. Especially on the wide receiver side. Absolutely. Yeah. They've got the, the tall wideouts as we'll get to. Um, so, so that was the luncheon. It sounded like a, a great time. And you, uh, the next day they had the first day of fall camp and that's exciting. A lot of people want to know all the ins and outs, but day one is, is kind of day one is hard to take of it, but, but what did you make being there? And that's the first time we've been able to cover it. So what, what was that like? Well, uh, as someone that worked in equipment, uh, my freshman year, um, I was used to a coach Norvell practice. Uh, but I will say from, I want to shout out the equipment staff, uh, as well today because um i mean i don't know the the inside and out but their their practice looked like it ran very smooth so hats off to them um but especially for a first day of fall camp but i would say the exact same thing about the about the players uh in the post-game interview or post-game in the post-practice interview uh, norvell stated that uh Compared to his first first day and his third first day, as you know, this past week, he said it was night and day. Um, just a lot more experienced players. Everybody's a lot more used to his his style of practice. That fast pace, fast moving, high reps, uh, very tough. Uh, looking to get everything out of each rep, and have players watching, uh, really focused on you know the task at hand, even when they're not. Uh, getting a rep in. So, um, like I said, it, it was as fast as I remember it as in working in equipment, but a, uh, a very smooth first practice for sure. Only a one day snapshot on day one, but so you're saying as you were there for year one, are you saying that, that it is kind of a substantial jump year three versus year one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, players knew where they needed to be for the most part. Obviously you have some guys, you know, I was able to watch uh, incomers like Julian Armella and Tatum Bethune. Uh, you know, those are that's that's a vet, a new vet, and a, a new rookie. You know, so uh, both of those guys looked uh, capable on day one to uh, really understand the system and really uh, get high quality reps. Yeah, we're now one week into fall camp and of, of, across all the reports I've read, including, you know, the ones that we've been doing, the number one thing I've seen that the practices are fast, are clean uh, recruits that have visited have been complimentary of that. So it seems like it's not only rubbing off on the roster at hand, but maybe other players that are viewing this program as, as, as one they might want to join compared to the SEC powers. Um, so I think that that is a great thing, at least optically, but I, I certainly it's going to bear out on the field as well. And the other one is really offensive line depth. I, I touched on this earlier as early on the, the last few seasons, um, the offensive line has been thin as guys have gotten injured. There really was not um, great replacements. And even in practice as well, um, that the defense the last couple of years kind of mowing down the offensive line that's changed um, a lot. Derek McClendon, uh, uh, he's a redshirt sophomore, uh, he was quoted as saying last season, no respect to our O-line. You didn't see at practice us going three deep in the reps and O-linemen still winning, honestly. We were going three deep into the rotation Friday and you saw good offensive linemen. You saw good flashes of those young guys. Us bringing those young guys in early really helped. 
So that, that I think is great. I, I think that's the highest compliment maybe of all is when the opposing position group is, is complimenting the work the offensive line has, has done. And I think anyone, myself, you, Jackson, anyone we'll have on the show, we'll all agree the offensive line is, is one of, if not the most important part of what they're trying to build. And, and this is certainly terrific news early on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the offensive line is the engine in, in any football team uh, because it – it keeps your defense off the field. If you, even if you don't score on every drive, if you're able to stay on the field for, you know, at least a, uh, three or four downs, um, if you're able to get two or three first downs, that gives your defense time to rest. And that's possibly, and then if your offense is on the field uh, for a long amount of time, you're more than likely scoring points. So, uh, Without a good offensive line, you can't have a good football team. That, that, there's, that's just how it is, plain and simple. I mean, there's no other way to put it. So uh, we, we've seen what Jordan Travis can do uh, with a mediocre offensive line. Uh, he, he made a mediocre offensive line uh, look, I'll say, above average, maybe. Um, but – I, I, I really think that this offensive line has the opportunity to uh, significantly improve. There's that age-old adage that, um, you know, you lose big, then you lose small, then you win small, then you win big. That's how you build a dynasty. When you are in a close game in the fourth quarter and you have the lead and you have the ball, you know, in a four-minute offense situation – and you can effectively run the ball when the defense knows you're running the ball. That's how you start winning small. That's a big part of closing out games and the offensive line, the biggest part about that. There are times when an O-line can win you a game because they can get you that, that yard on third and one and, and allow you to run off a couple extra minutes of clock. So that to me is one of the biggest things I'm looking at of that position group as, as they start to you know go from five wins to you know wherever they end up. Uh, maybe not 10 wins, as you said, but but a number closer to that. Um, the wide receivers were another position group, especially going into camp has been talked about a lot, but even in camp still six foot seven, Johnny Wilson, Kentron Portier, Span, Malik McLean. Those receivers are all six, three or taller. So, I mean, we still have um, some, some of those upperclassmen receivers in Ontario, Wilson and Keyshawn Helton, those, some of those smaller guys, but I wonder uh, with Michael some of these bigger well. bodies, yeah, how that's going to go. Well, uh, you know, I'm not getting into depth chart, but um, if you have guys like, like Micah Pittman and, uh, like you said, Johnny Wilson, um, just to have Malik McLean um, not on an island by himself, uh, ju just the, the idea that we can have two or three playmakers that can uh, – kind of force the defense to show its hand, um, force the defense to, to cover, use their best corner on uh, our be on Florida State's best receiver. Uh, when you have guys like whoever that may be of those three um, going against a weaker DB, that's going to give Florida State um, just a much larger advantage compared to the past. Finally, as we close out, the first half, some recruiting news. We'll start with the bad news first. 
Uh, Brock Glenn, the quarterback, he made his decision this past weekend. He chose Ohio State. Florida State, I think, was maybe not all in was the word to use, but they were really hoping that he was going to come. And uh, this is coming on the heels of, of Chris Parsons, another quarterback decommitting. So in a matter of, you know, a couple of weeks, they've lost two, you know, top 15 quarterbacks in the nation for the class of 2023. And, yeah, that's a, that's a big blow to the Florida State quarterback room. But um, a couple of years ago, they, they or maybe a year ago, I apologize, um, didn't have a quarterback. I mean, you don't need one every cycle. It, it's preferable, but – uh, preferable but it's it's not um not required and they they have tate roadmaker guy that's gotten snaps they have aj duffy uh they've got geno english i mean the, <laughs> the probably the most famous quarterback at fsu other than other than jordan travis so um i will say uh they're gonna be okay they're gonna be okay um and assuming that four state can reach some higher peaks this season, the recruits will come. You can't, you can't blame the guy to want to choose Ohio state. Um, after Florida state just had a five and seven season, you can't blame them. Speaking of the recruiting starting to come in, maybe in a good way, Hakeem Williams, the number three ranked wide receiver in the country, the number 16th player in the country, according to rivals.com was visiting fall practice last week. He complimented the practices. He said, you know, they were really working hard, which is what he likes to do. He said they're a cohesive team and something that caught my eye, uh, wide receiver coach, Ron Dugans, who is involved in, in Williams recruiting. He complimented him. He said, Dugans has, has knows how to get guys to the NFL knows how to develop professional players. It's, it's been a little while. I think last year, um, if you were going to pick one guy on the staff that, might have been on the odd man out. It might have been Dugans just because of that position group. But when you have the number three wide receiver recruit in the country singing his praises, uh, maybe that's why he's he's still here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, Florida State they they need that talent up up and coming in uh, the wide receiver room. But you gotta you gotta remember you got guys like Jakai Douglas too. You've got guys that um, can make those impact plays. Keyshawn Helton, as we mentioned. Um, but they need some new blood coming in here soon. So uh, hopefully Florida State just puts all their emphasis uh, on that big recruit. Williams, you said? Hakeem Williams? Hakeem Williams, yeah, I, I believe from uh, South Florida. So that'll do it for half number one of the show when we come back. Some NFL talk. Be sure to keep it here on 89.7 FM, The Voice. Bruh. little goodbye weekend from Mac DeMarco on this Monday night. And we have some National Football League to discuss. It's been a while. It's been several months. So the next 25 minutes or so, 
We're going to get into all of that. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk. William and Jackson on WVFS. Tallahassee, half number two. And really right now at the start of training camp, the, the biggest story I would say is Kyler Murray. About a week ago or over a week ago on July 21st, he got a contract extension. He signed a five-year deal for $230.5 million deal. 160 million of which was guaranteed. Now he had basically three years left of team control, um, in, including the third year option or the fifth year option, I should say, on his rookie deal. And I think his base salary for this year on that rookie deal was going to be 11 million. So now he's getting paid upwards of 45 per year with the new contract. But as of late, that wasn't even the biggest part of the story. Uh, Pro Football Talk released an article that that leaked, I guess, the an addendum in that contract that required Kyler Murray to do four hours of, quote, independent study per week uh, during the season. It said, you know, he can't be distracted with video games or TV or Internet, and it had to be outside the team facility. So um, this is, is so interesting. I've never seen anything like this Um Kyler Murray, he, he stated it when he called his press conference. He was undefeated as a high school quarterback, won the Heisman Trophy at Oklahoma. In a, you know, he was a top 10 pick in baseball, the number one pick in the NFL draft. This is a guy that really has – there's nothing about him that you could question, save for maybe his playoff success in, in one wild card game. Um, and after this report came out about the addendum and the contract, um, all kinds of stuff started to swirl. It was the talk of every talk show. Uh, on every channel and Murray, I guess, got fed up. He called a press conference lasted about 11 minutes. He called out the commentary about him disrespectful and a joke. Basically people, you know, saying that, you know, what maybe he doesn't have what it takes to win. If he doesn't want to watch film, blah, blah, blah. That's what they're saying. The Arizona Cardinals eventually rescinded the clause. And um, there was a report, I believe in the New York times last December where Kyler Murray was quoted as saying, I'm not one of those guys that's going to sit there and kill myself watching film. And, and, you know, as they lost their, their one and done playoff game the next month, that was something people were, were making something of. So Jackson, this is, this is weird. This is a a franchise quarterback. The Cardinals invested in, they gave him a quarter of a billion dollars and which side do you come to, uh, are they just protecting their investment? They don't want a guy to maybe slack off a little bit after he got paid, or is there maybe something more to this? Well, uh, I will say, William, there is one piece of information you forgot, and I thought it was pretty important. Um, Big Cat, on part of my take, uh, <laughs> said, it, and this is a stat, he said, for all those fantasy players out there, uh, Kyler Murray, his performance does dip when, the, when a new Call of Duty comes out. So uh, there is something going on there. But no, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm kind of agnostic on this issue because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of approaching it as, you know, two different parties. And those parties are the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray and then the media. Uh, I, I think there's a possibility that they're both reading the same text, like a text message, both reading the same text, um, and have two completely different interpretations of it. Um, so I, I think there's, it's, it's ex- extremely interesting that it's in the contract at all. Um, and it could be just something, you know, it's like, Hey, Kyler, 
we know you're a great player. We're willing to give you all this money. We just want you to be in the film room a little bit more. And I, I, I don't necessarily think it's this, oh, we don't trust you. Oh, we don't do this. We don't do that. Um, it could just be, you know, he's still a, a young quarterback. People forget that. I mean, it was his, what, his third year, going into his third year. So uh, he, he still needs time to grow, time to develop um, before he's that upper echelon QB. And I, I didn't react to it as harshly as a lot of the media members did. I don't want it to come across like I'm comparing these two players. They really have nothing alike. But just in the story alone, my mind goes to that, that Jamarcus Russell mm-hmm. story, the number one overall pick from the Raiders in maybe a decade and a half ago. And I think it was during his rookie season, they asked him if he was watching film and he said yes. And one day after practice, they sent him home with a blank CD. And the next day he came back, they asked him if he was watching film. He said, yes, their coaches. Well, I don't know if they confronted him about it. I would have loved to see that, but the, the, the tape was empty. There was no film on that. And he was just bluffing. It was not watching yeah, an absolute lick of film. Um, That's what he said. And what was that? He said there were blitz packages. Oh, <laughs> so he committed to <laughs> full George Costanza committed to the bit. Um, and, and, and Russell. not a lie if you believe it. That's right. That was the, the Jamarcus Russell strategy. It's not a lie if you believe it. But and Russell never had any success in the NFL. He was one of the biggest busts of all time. Murray has not been anything close to that. He won the, the rookie of the year in his first season, you know, uh, the, the next year after they were the worst team in the NFL, obviously, as they got the number one overall pick. So he's he's been on the forefront of, of this comeback for Arizona. Um, he, he's been a good player. That playoff game was bad. There's no getting around it. He didn't play well. I don't think the team played well. And also they were on the road against the team that went on to win the Super Bowl. So maybe let's like calm down a little bit with just calling him a fraud because he lost one playoff game. Um but, but that, that is that is the, the take that I have on it is that um, not that there was pre-existing issues, but when you give a guy, you know, when you're paying him $45 million, you know, when he's a top three, top five paid quarterback in the NFL, you need him to keep playing like it. And um, that's why you put something in the contract. But I, at the same time, I get the public backlash and I think they, they did the right thing in, in taking it out because this was going to be an ongoing distraction and it probably still will be. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that taking it out of the contract <clears throat> um, does uh, what they think it'll do. It obviously won't go away immediately. Um, but what I will say is, though, is that if they start winning, this will die down completely. Yeah, and um, my mind also goes to this. Um, there's – right after the the Calvin Ridley story came out where uh, it came out that I guess he was betting on games during his, his time away from the team last year. And he got suspended a full year for it, but all these clips surfaced of him like running to the sideline out of bounds when he was on a breakaway and all the commentary was, Oh man, he was betting on these games in the same light. I think every time he throws a bad pick or he gets sacked on the blind side, it's going to be, Oh man, Kyler wasn't watching film this week. Like in unintentionally doing this for the rest of Kyler Murray's career, this is going to be a thing that they're going to have to live with. Yeah, no, 100%, but winning cures all. I mean, we, yeah. we saw it in the 
we can even go back to the 2014, 2015 Florida State locker room, <clears throat> who, you know, which was reported to be extremely dysfunctional, but they won. So no one cared. <laughs> so that's a great example. It really is because I mean, they were a couple of years away from essentially complete obliteration and they had, you know, all kinds of NFL talent, but they weren't getting along. And you're right. They went to the, the playoff. It ultimately blew up, but no one, no one would have been the wiser uh, as they were knocking those, those wins down for Arizona, the Cardinals, this upcoming season, Deandre Hopkins is suspended. Uh, I believe the, the first six games of the season, Marquise Brown, who they required from Baltimore is out with a hamstring injury right now. I'm not sure if he'll Hollywood. Be <laughs> Hollywood Brown. Yes, sir. Um, so they've got AJ green on, on, you know, not the back nine, maybe the back three, they've got Zach Ertz. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure that always happens with a new deal. It happened to Patrick Mahomes. Um, it, it's going to happen, you know, to Derek Carr. This is just how these things go. And so this is, uh, it's not a circus yet. If they start losing games, if, if stuff starts coming out, uh, it will be then, but, uh, it's, it's the biggest story at, at the start of training camp and we'll kind of leave it there. Another big story this past week, DK Metcalf, wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, got a deal, three-year, $72 million extension. And now look at these numbers, 58.2 of the $72 million is fully guaranteed, and he got a $30 million signing bonus, which is the biggest ever for a wide receiver. Um, I believe he is is right behind Stefan Diggs as, as far as um, average annual value for wide receivers. For Seattle, this is a, a tough spot that they're in. They extended Tyler Lockett. Now they extended DK Metcalf. I guess they've got you know, Drew Locke as their quarterback after Russell Wilson got his way out of Seattle. So for me, as, as you're staring down a rebuild, giving out big money might not be the best idea, but I think they're going to try and hold it down the best they can. Yeah, and uh, I just got to say, Broncos Nation, let's ride. <laughs> No, but uh, I think the Seahawks are. I think the Seahawks are definitely a quarterback and a couple pieces away from being contenders again. They've got the they've got the pieces on offense in terms of a wide receiver core. But um, if you don't mind, William, I want to go back and then we're kind of going a little off script here. But I want your opinion on Derek Carr. Okay, that's it. I just want your your opinion because there. He's a guy that, you know, one year he's considered the, the worst quarterback in the NFL. And then some he's like, oh, he's a top 10 QB. I, I want to know your opinion. I would say, like, if if we were – if this conversation was in 2015, I would have him, like, a, a little bit above Andy Dalton as far as, like, above average NFL quarterbacks. I think more – maybe more so than anyone else, he's reflected uh, of the talent around him. Uh, has had a lot of different coaches, a lot of different offenses – I like Derek Carr, though. I mean, he I think he took he he was having an MVP caliber season before he broke his leg. I think in like week 15, week 16, I think of 2016 when he took him to the playoffs. And then since then, it, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Uh, I'm buying Derek Carr stock big time this year. I think the Raiders are, are pretty major players in the AFC. They get him Devonte Adams, who I think is hands down as much as I'm a Mike Evans fan, Devontae Adams is the best receiver in the NFL. He played with Derek Carr in college at Fresno state. Um, and I think as they're kind of starting to separate themselves from the John Gruden drama, they've got Josh McDaniels 
who we'll talk about running the ship now as, as he's giving a, a head coaching position another go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pro Derek Carr, I would say, especially compared to most people, it seems. I would have him maybe above Dak Prescott. Maybe. So he's top 15. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. I, I think he's a guy that, that has the physical talent. Um, maybe could be a little bit better of a runner, but, you know, everybody can't be Josh Allen. Um, I, I will say that, that Derek Carr, I don't know if he can lead him to a Super Bowl, but I think he can get you to a conference championship. Yeah, I, I, it's in, we've never seen him play in a playoff game. I would have loved to see him. I want to say it's the 2016 season. I apologize if I'm if I'm missing the mark. But he was, as I said, MVP caliber season. That was back when they had Amari Cooper and that ACDC combination. So I see maybe with another top line receiver in Devonta Adams that he can maybe get back to that okay. level. I but I do want to go back <clears throat> to your to your Seahawks question, and I apologize for getting a little sidetracked there, but. Uh, you know, I, I, I think this season we'll see just how – I mean, we know how good of a quarterback Russell Wilson is. Um, this season we will see how much Russell Wilson really carried the Seahawks on his shoulders. Um, and it might not be that much. They might have a successful season. They might, you know, completely, completely bomb. So um, – but if there is ever a – a if there's ever been a time to fully evaluate Russell Wilson's presence it's this year and it's not at the team that he's at I think that's a really interesting way to put it um Russell Wilson has never received an MVP vote that's kind of been the bit the big thing throughout his career but he's been in kind of contention for for that position and I I honestly agree with you I'm I'm expecting a a full full-on just collapse in Seattle. I think it's going to end ugly for Pete Carroll. They've got an interesting ownership situation. I think they're trying to get the team sold. So if that's the case, they're in a position where they might just end up cleaning house. Um, but they're, um, you know, the, the contrast of maybe uh, Mike Norvell building the plane while it's in the air, I think for Seattle, they're trying to keep this plane flying as it's falling apart left and right. They lose uh, a top and NFL quarterback and you're the, on it with the analogies today, William. <laughs> thank you. I just off the top. Yeah. Um, off the noggin. And I, and I really think you're right. I mean, Russell Wilson, I think was more valuable to his team than just about any other player, not because he's the best player in the NFL, but just his particular skill set kept Seattle in games in contention when they probably should not have been. I think they've been a bad team the last couple of years, despite the winning records, a bad offensive line, a uh, bad running game and everything. He, he kind of reminds me of a Jordan Travis, a guy that, you know, is not extremely built, but can extend plays with his feet uh, and play that magician role a little bit. Absolutely. A ma magician is a perfect word. And then we'll talk about Russell um, in, in Denver in, in just a little bit. So, so that's it for D, DK Metcalf. I almost called him decaf Metcalf channeling some Joe Tessator. <laughs> um, so, so they've got Metcalf long-term they've got Lockett long-term. Did you just one more quick hit? Did you see that tweet? I think it was the U S open came after a Seahawks fan. The, the Seahawks fan commented on the tweet, uh, tennis, not a sport. And then they, they said, you know, not a sport coming from the guy who has to watch 17 games of Drew Locke. You know, you know, the, the admin of that account was just having a field day. Probably, you know, a, uh, 
a, a Rams fan or something along those lines, you know, just something. Uh, he was just licking his chops, most likely. But yeah, you gotta love it when accounts like that just go, you know, AWOL on on the average American. Maybe maybe V89 Sports needs to to get into that that game. We'll see. Uh, starting something with someone. Um, Lamar Jackson, the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, he is in his final year of team control. We've come a long way since he was the, the 32nd overall pick of, I guess it was the 2018 draft after winning the Heisman Trophy at Louisville. Um, he, he's playing under his fifth-year option. It's guaranteed $23 million, which is not bad. That's a little bit half of what Kyler, May, uh, Kyler Murray is going to be making, which is, is kind of crazy when you think about it that way. Um, but he's playing. He's at training camp. I mean, he was kind of brushing off some questions at training camp. He's like, you know, just just trying to play, just trying to do my thing, want the team to win. So it seems like that's his top priority. But he's in a contract year. That's always a, a tentative position for a player. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network reported, quote, uncomfortable contract discussions between agent and team. Um, just something, a note that I have, the Ravens, they are the best rushing team since he took over as a starting quarterback midway through the 2018 season. He's uh, a quarterback? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Lamar some people some people would have you believe otherwise, but yes, no, no, he is great a great quarterback. Lamar is. Sorry, he is a quarterback. Um, but but between Harbaugh, the head coach, and Greg Roman, uh, the offensive coordinator, <clears throat> to me, th- this is a, a tough position for them. Maybe they want to re-sign him, and management doesn't. But ultimately. They have this this offense, really this whole roster built around running the ball a lot and playing good defense. And with Lamar gone, that changes. But also, if you're going to make your quarterback a central part of your run game, the injuries are a concern and also the money. Um, you know, if you if you're if you don't have a guy who's throwing five thousand yards in today's game, I guess the 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 conversation would be, why are you paying him that much money just to run? Um, but another thing with Lamar, I wonder if he doesn't get a deal, if he has a deadline set, if he's going to get maybe a little bit resentful towards the Ravens. And if they don't offer him a contract, he's going to want to go play somewhere else, maybe to prove him wrong. Yeah. Maybe he goes to Seattle. That would kind of, that would kind of fit that system that we were talking about being able to extend players with your feet. But um, yeah, I, I don't blame him. I, I think, I think the idea of holding out is dumb. I think Lamar's doing it the right way. Uh, but I will say uh, they need to pay the man. They need to pay the man. This guy is a great quarterback. Um, he's a league MVP. He's someone that has not regressed, I don't think, in any way. Someone that has really um, become a much better passer. And I was never on the, the Lamar running back uh bandwagon but this is a guy that has improved significantly as the passer um since he's gotten in the league and i think um there should be a a, there should be an amount of money that reflects that would you pay him the going rate of about 45 a year to put him in that top echelon sound like rick harrison best i can do is like 42 yeah no no i i it depends on the market. It depends on, you know, who, who else is uh, readily available in that free agency market. Um, but most likely, yes. My gut is telling me yes. 
I think we're now we're at the point salary cap discussions are getting a little bit overblown because these TV contracts are going to bring the salary caps uh, through the roof. But when you, when you pay a quarterback more money, it changes how you can spend on the rest of your team. The chiefs are going to be dealing with that with, for a long time with Patrick Mahomes. And another thing, especially if you're paying Lamar a lot of money, however long he's there, they traded your guy, Hollywood Brown, because he didn't like the system. He didn't like playing in that offense. Other wide receivers think the same. I mean, this, Baltimore is not a destination where you want to go to play in this offense. So, um, you know, if you give him a lot of money and it doesn't work, you're, the Baltimore is going to be in a bad spot, I think. You have this AFC North that is usually consistently a decent division. But other than the Bengals, they're not known for recently being stupendous. So, um it wouldn't surprise me if you see Lamar go to another team. Yeah, that's going to be maybe the the biggest story of free agency a year from now, and and we'll keep our eye on that. The last story is is where we've got a, a couple minutes left. Um, uh, quarterback of the New England Patriots, Mac Jones, in his second NFL season, he played under the tutelage of Josh McDaniels, who was the offensive coordinator. Now goes to Vegas to be the head coach of the Raiders as he's trying to kind of resurrect his head coaching career. And the talk of the offseason was, all right, well, who are the Patriots going to get to be the offensive coordinator? Because McDaniels and Belichick have gone way, way back. And uh, it was, you know, Belichick didn't necessarily have anyone in the wings. He was, um, I, I think, expecting McDaniels to stay. Um, but Belichick has doubled down. He's refused to name another offensive coordinator replacement. And it doesn't sound like he's going to. Not now, not later. So you have a quarterback in the second year trying to make that jump and the offensive brain trust in new England consists of what Matt Patricia and Joe judge. Good luck. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand it. Um, you have a, a quarterback that's, you know, trying to find his way in the NFL in the second year, uh, a Mac Jones that, that showed flashes of being a, a, a very good NFL quarterback. Um, but it also seems like they don't really trust him to throw the ball that much. Um, so who knows how much this could stint his development. Um, but I, I, I don't see the reason to not hire an offensive coordinator. Belichick has been known for this. He wants to do things unconventional. He wants to do things his way. I don't think he wants to have a, a headbutting session with an offensive coordinator from another team about the team philosophy. I, I think, as you mentioned, with the way they used Mac Jones, not really trusting him, he threw the ball three times in a regular season matchup in Buffalo. And then in the playoff game in Buffalo, they, it was kind of the same. They didn't throw the ball a lot early on until they were in a hole where they had to. So I wonder for Belichick, he just gets more control because McDaniels was really the last guy left that had any, any kind of say against Belichick. Now BB, he is the final say on everything. I wonder if he just wants to run the ball a ton. They've got that uh, pro bowl punter. They want to play field position, set up the defense, but that just, and this is 2022. I, I, I like the old style football, but that's too much. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And it's a passing league. And, you know, the clock is continuously running. So you, you got to move the field pretty quickly uh, in the NFL. Who knows? Maybe, maybe BB, Bill Belichick can 
return the NFL to a more running style league. I don't think uh, it's going to be immediate. I don't even know if it's going to happen, but I could see it. Maybe, uh, maybe a lot of tight end packages, a lot of multiple packages. Um, but, you know, we've always known Bill Belichick as a defensive guy. So to see him kind of take the reins of this offense, um, who knows? I mean, he's won six Super Bowls. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that we're even having this conversation, honestly. But it's, it's merited because it's just so unconventional. And that, that's the thing. I, I defend Bill Belichick more than anyone else that's not from Boston. I just uh, – he's had a lot of success that you can't discredit. And it's, it's – the proof is in the pudding. But this is I, – I truly do I, – I see this as a train wreck. It's going to crash and burn. And I just – this is – I wonder if this is how he's going to be remembered as he shuttled everyone away. He wanted to do things his way, and he got left behind by – some more innovative teams. Like, could you imagine the Patriots going up against, you know, they play the bills twice. They've got the chiefs and the AFC, the high flying Raiders. Now I just, I really do see uh, the Pats getting left behind, but we are up against it. We are out of time. This will do it for this week's episode of Tomahawk talk uh, for Jackson Bakich. I have been William Haynes this is some exciting stuff next week. We're back in studio full time. We'll be taking some calls myself. And I think Max Rundy, maybe Jack Oliaro in the prod booth as well. So we hope you'll stay tuned for that at V89 Sports on Twitter, on Instagram. Stay tuned for a WordPress maybe for some, some articles from fall camp for the football team. But uh, you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. New release is next.